The lesson is from the third chapter of Revelation, starting with the 14th verse. To the church in Laodicea, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Tim. Jesus, in today's reading that we just heard, layers all kinds of illustrations that would have been particularly poignant for the people of Laodicea. And so uh, we will uh, unlayer some of them today as we receive this word together. An illustration that came to mind almost immediately when I was preparing uh, and reading this text for today's sermon, uh, I was reminded of the author Hans Christian Andersen. You might be familiar with many of his works. He's maybe most known for his fairy tales. One of them being, do you know it, The Emperor's New Clothes? In this uh, well-known story, a very dignified, very uh, prideful, really, emperor who was fond of getting new, elegant robes regularly and then being paraded through the city, showing off and having oohs and ahs with his new wardrobe, uh, got taken advantage of. Two swindlers knew of this emperor's uh, proclivities, and they decided to come to him and say, you know, we have the finest threads, the best robes. We will make for you like no one else has. It's so dignified and so important that only those who are competent, only those who are the most dignified, only those who uh, have the most wisdom can even see them. To those who uh, are not at that level, it's just invisible to their eye. Well, their bait hooked this emperor. And he bought what they were selling and they went to work, so to speak. They began spinning in a room with a, a wheel as if they had thread in their hand, moving that wheel 
with this now, to many, invisible thread. And as they continued their ruse, the emperor would send one of his most wisest, most known to be honest servants to check on them, to see what was really going on. He couldn't see anything. But he didn't want to tell the emperor that. He didn't want to admit that he wasn't up to par. He didn't want to disappoint the emperor's hopes. And so he bought into the story they were trying to weave. And went back and told his emperor how beautiful the linens were becoming and how vibrant they were. The emperor would send another servant and a similar exchange would happen until finally it was time for him to come and see them himself. himself. And he was embarrassed as he thought to himself, I can't see them. Maybe this means I'm, I'm not as great as I thought he was. But he did dare not admit it, of course. And as these swindlers held up their invisible, beautiful, kingly robes, they even convinced Uh, the emperor to remove his clothing and put on this new garment. It felt as light as a spider web. As if it wasn't even there, right? And as he went to be paraded among his people, neither his servants nor his people would dare admit that the emperor was naked. Except for one child who would whisper to his parent, Isn't he naked? This imagery, this story by Hans Christian Andersen is a revelation of the human heart, isn't it? A revelation, if we're honest, of our own hearts. It's a revelation, I think, that points to the revelation that we hear in this message to Laodicea and to us. That though we think we are rich and clothed in what must be great, that which is our good works, our own dignity, our own competence. After all, Laodicea was known to be quite competent. They were a banking center. They made the most beautiful black linens well known for this wool. And even were well known for their medical school with a salve and ointments. excuse me. And as they stood in their proud identities, the city of Laodicea were actually exposed by Jesus were actually being naked all along. In fact, he would even go on to say, as we'll get into it further, you make me sick. You see, can you imagine hearing those words from Jesus? I mean, Jesus said that? You make me sick? That hurts. One scholar pointed out the shame associated with nakedness in the Old Testament. And it's that shame and 
exposure that we hear in this text, Jesus Himself telling the church, you make me sick. Spit you out of my mouth. They were relying on something other than Christ. What are we relying on? Now, self-reliance is something I value. Something I've taught my kids. Something we've been known for as a a nation. And yet that self-reliance, apart from Christ, makes us not unlike those Laodiceans. Let me tell you an example of their self-reliance. One that uh, you and I, myself included, yes, we'd cheer on. If it was a movie scene, we'd be like, oh, good for them. Look at how strong they are. In 60 AD, they received what we would call today FEMA money when the earthquake came and leveled their city. They said, no, thank you very much, emperor. We don't need your money. We'll build it back ourselves. We can do it ourselves. A story like that makes me feel like, yeah, good for them. But in the next scene, if this was a movie, we'd soon discover the underbelly of weakness that what looks so good on the outside is actually a broken heart exposed on the inside. Their refusal to admit that they were naked and exposed when the Father was there ready to protect them makes Jesus sick. Another pastor used an image from the Old Testament that I want to share with you today that I think helps get this emotion understood. Jethro in the book of Judges was a, was a, a leader of God's people. And yet, he did the abhorrent thing of sacrificing his own daughter. The human sacrifice. The book of Deuteronomy tells us that this is, even though it happened in that day and age to the one true God, the one true God whom we come under today, he hates that. It's against his every fiber and being. This is not what the people of God should ever do. So why would he do that? Why would the Laodiceans who had received the good news of the gospel through we understand the ministry of the Apostle Paul, although he'd never gone there. In Colossians, we learn that he wrote them a letter that we don't have anymore, but he preached the gospel in that region. The gospel reached them much like it did the Galatians as we heard some months ago. And now they're living by some other gospel, their own self-reliance. And that self-reliance will be for them like an invisible thread. And now they are exposed. That same pastor who pointed out uh, the abhorrent nature of Jethro and yet still seeking that worldly way tells the story of a baseball player. A baseball player who now some three decades ago in the major leagues threw a pitch that would be hit for a home run, 
sending that team to the World Series and his team home. He couldn't get over it. That offseason, he was depressed and lowly to the point eventually even of suicide. And when friends talked about the tragedy that would follow it, they said, well, you know, baseball was everything to him. Even something sweet and beautiful as baseball, when it gets to be our everything, instead of Jesus at the center, it falls short and it serves like an invisible thread and we are exposed. Only Jesus can deal with our everything. Where is your everything? What are you relying on? As Jesus weaves all kinds of images here in this text, including that of water, of both hot and cold. It's not that hot was good and cold was bad. Actually, both hot and cold were to be sought after. The contrast here is Laodicea, but a part of a tri-city area. One Heropolis, a few miles down the road, was known for its hot springs. People loved their hot springs. Then another few miles down the road, the other direction was Colossae, known for its deep, cold, refreshing wells of water. And then you have Laodicea, known for foul-tasting water, <laughs> lime-ridden, with lime deposits. And I'm not talking the ones that you squeeze into a drink, you know what I'm saying? It was disgusting and foul. And people knew it tasted terrible. And so when Jesus said, I'd rather be hot or cold, they knew what he was talking about and why it made him sick, their behavior. Jesus is telling them there is another way. And so in verse 18, he says, I counsel you with this, or I, as one pastor pointed out, prescribe this, picking up on that medical school that they uh, were so known for. A new salve for the eye. And this salve is not the black robe that you make, but my white robe of righteousness. You are saved, as you see on this banner, by grace alone. You are saved by grace, by my righteousness put on you. And as he put it's on the white robe of righteousness on us, we are saved not by our self-reliance, but by his. In fact, he became naked on the cross and took on our shame so that we wouldn't have to. His salve of salvation is for you. Will we take it off and put on our own robes, the black robes that they made there in Laodicea, our own works of righteousness, or will we, will we be saved by Christ? And make no mistake, when we receive this free gift, it won't always be easy. For we will, as he tells us, be refined 
like gold and fire. Remember, he's preparing the church for a difficult season ahead. He's preparing the church for a time of persecution, a time of difficulty. My friend, Pastor Justo, who you've heard me speak of before, he was a pastor before he entered Life Eternal in Tanzania and came, when I got to know him, studying God's Word in the United States for a couple of years, would often come home from leading worship at a local congregation in the Northwest where we were studying, sad. He couldn't understand why folks would run out so quickly or pray so quickly or he just was saddened by what felt like apathy to him and a lack of joy when he would lead worship. You see, he came from a region that knew that their self-reliance was fully based not on the things of this world, but on Christ. That's why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven because it is so easy for us to rely on ourselves. And it's especially true in our culture today. It's all about me and self-reliance and self-definition instead of what Christ has done. It's so easy for us as a church to come to the confession of faith at the beginning of this service and think it's really good that we have that confession and forgiveness because there's a lot of people in here that need it, right? And then we forget, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people that need the gospel. And so are you. We are called to receive this free gift, even refined by fire, and then share it. And sometimes we're even afraid, and I'm not saying it's easy to share it uh, in the office or in the public forum, but we see the witness of the persecuted church reminding us, cheering us on. As Jesus is cheering this church on that was about to face those same kind of difficulties, to stand on the gospel even in the face of life and death. And so I ask myself, I ask us today, what are we relying on? Is it our own self-reliance? Or is it Christ at the center? A God who reveals Himself to us as the Amen. Jesus says here in this text, He's the Amen. You may not recognize it because in English... Uh, It's translated differently in our Bibles, but frequently throughout the New Testament, Jesus would begin his discourses with that word, amen, sometimes translated, truly, verily, I say to you. He is the true witness. And as we hear in Greek, one scholar then later in that verse will translate it as the originator. The beginning and the end. Picking up on what we heard in chapters 1 and 2 and what we'll hear next week in chapter 22, the Alpha and Omega. He is our center. He is our beginning. He is our end. Is He who we are relying on? Are we receiving His gift of grace and then sharing that with boldness with others? When that happens, lives are changed. 
I heard just this week, just this week, two beautiful testimonies from members of our congregation who, having been recipients of that grace, shared it beautifully. One who'd been sharing for the last six years in relationship and, and fellowship with a neighbor. And this neighbor now being confined to home as they take care of some health needs. She shared with him the good news of the gospel again and said, why aren't you baptized? And so earlier this week, I got to join her and baptize this person in his seventh decade. Thanks be to God because of her faithful witness. Another member this week shared with me that they wanted to invite their family to worship far and near. And so they used our live stream link to put into a family text some who worship regularly, some who don't, bringing them together to Christ. Thanks be to God. When Christ is at our center, lives are changed. And Jesus does all this. He shares all this. In verse 19, we discover because he loves us, he reproves those whom he loves. He says tough things to those he loves. And then in verse 20, we hear these beautiful words. He stands at the door and knocks. Now, the Laodiceans knew what it was to have someone knock through your door. They were required to billet many Roman soldiers. They were forced to welcome them in their homes and feed them. Jesus doesn't force himself on them or us. He comes to the door and he says, if you open the door, I will enter in and eat with you. This table of grace is prepared. This is a, an altar call, a time to come to Jesus and open that door and receive those robes of righteousness, of free grace that he offers us. He cares enough about you to tell you how it is, to let you know that the robes that you've been putting on, they're just exposing you. You're naked. But he wants to clothe us with his righteousness, with an intimate fellowship. That's what meals would have meant for someone in the first century, an intimate fellowship. And that's what this meal means for you and for me today, a fellowship with the one true God where he becomes our means of grace through his word. Open the door as he knocks and come to this table today. Don't rely just on our accomplishments as sweet or as good as they may be. When it comes to our salvation, they're as valuable as invisible thread. He is the amen, the true witness, the originator. And Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Come, dear friends, to this table with Jesus. Amen.